Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been recently playing. And contributing on this episode are Board and Game with Andrew Buckholz, Dice and Dragons, Matthew Legault of Scorpio Masque, Friday Night Games, definitely a board game podcast, Metal Meeples and Beer, Covery, and Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes to links to all of the content of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're FridayNight.Games. You can find us on Instagram at FridayNightGames underscore official, Twitter at FridayNightGMS, our website at FridayNight.Games, and Twitch at FridayNightGMS. Today we're going to be talking about Umbra Via, the new game designed by Connor Wake, published by Pandasaurus Games, and art by Eddie Skillo and Steve O'Torres. It is a two to four player abstract game where you try to be the first person to remove all of your soul flowers from your soul tile and then collect your soul tile to win. The game is played over any number of rounds. Each round consists of two bidding rounds and then a tile placement round. On their board, there will be four paths that players bid soul flowers to gain the chance of placing them. For a bidding round, you will pull three soul flowers from your soul bag to be placed secretly behind your screen. And there is no cheating. Don't look. Don't be dumb. Just play your game. Once everyone has placed their three flowers, you reveal your bidding boards and add flowers to each tile that was bid on. After two bidding rounds, you remove all double point soul flowers because too much flowers is a thing. Players who bid the most get to place each tile starting with the tile with the least amount of votes. Ties are broken by a tracker on the side of the board. Win a tie, then you switch places with a lower position. After the tiles are placed, if there are any closed paths, you figure out the winner, which is the player with the most soul flowers on that path. That player gets to remove soul, pl- soul flowers from their soul tile equal to the number of tiles. Second place gets soul flowers equal to half of the previous person who won, rounded down, and so on until everyone has figured out how many soul tiles they get. Usually I got zero. Soul flowers <laughs> are placed into your soul bag that you won. Tiles with no votes are discarded and four new tiles are drawn. And then the round can, uh, then a new round begins. And the game finally ends when you collect all soul flowers and the final soul tile that is worth two points. You get your soul back. You leave your opponents waiting in purgatory trying to get out of there. I mean, nothing wrong with that. It's pretty nice in there. Wouldn't have to socialize or anything. The art's really nice in there, so it's probably (laughs) not a terrible thing. So, Matt, why do we love this game? Man, I really love the theme Trying to get your soul back, winning paths over other players is a really thoughtful, insightful thing. I love the fact that I'm uh, collecting. I mean, if my soul was a thing, it would be made of flowers. That's all I'm going to say. I also really love the thought and depth of the game. Uh, We ended up talking with Connor tonight uh, after our live stream with him, playing the game with him. And there is so much depth to the game. It is amazing how much thought you could put into it but also the really cool part is that it can be really less thinky and kind of relaxing while playing it if you want it to be i really like the bidding phase Um, since it's done in two parts um, it allows players to kind of see what other players are going for which you can strategize to fake out opponents Um, the second part allows you to gauge if a player is going to go for something you want as well uh, it's super easy to learn, uh, quick to set up. Um, it's pretty accessible and 
pretty available to like a wide audience. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when I look at games, I look to like, hey, who can I play this with? Which is usually going to be my wife and, and, I, and Matt. And then uh, I look to see if I can somehow play with my kids as well. So some this is a game I feel like I can nail all three of those. Yeah, yeah. it's it's pretty fantastic. Um, it comes out March 17th. Uh, we, we played it over Tabletop Simulator, which was uh, still a pretty good experience, actually. Yeah. So um, do we play anything wrong? Um, yeah, when we first played it, it was just you and I when we were testing it out. Um, during the placement phase, uh, you look at what tiles players bid on. Then the tiles are numbered one to four based on the number of tokens on each and are placed by players who control them in that specific order. Uh, the way we played it was um, that most tokens gets played first, but it's actually the opposite. So it's the the tile that has the least amount of uh, soul flowers on it goes first. Um, this just adds to the great part of the game. You know, the winner of the bid might not get the best place on the board, which is which is huge. Yeah, because then the if the, you could then mess over the other players by taking a tile and just placing <laughs> where they want to place it because they right. bid all the most points on that tile. Um, another thing that I think we did kind of wrong our first time is we didn't we didn't actually play with the special tiles and the special tiles added a lot to the game right um which thankfully uh connor wake the designer of the game was playing with us so he was able to help us out with playing the special tiles when they when they came up which actually changed the game a lot for me to be honest i thought those were just decoration on the side of the board <laughs> the first time we were playing it <laughs> i mean the whole game is very decorative and yeah. the art that went into it is amazing so cool um so do we is there anything that we want to talk about that wasn't the greatest i have one thing that mm. i want to bring up um i thought it played better with three players and probably four than it did with two and yeah, I, I can see that and i think that's just because um with two players you have to have like a fake person there to kind of like mess up the bids a bit oh yeah yeah i forgot yeah when you have a two-player game you put in another another set of soul tiles and uh that's kind of just like a fake bid yeah, it's all right. Like yeah. it's that's an all right system. I just think it plays better with three because the whole idea, you know, once you have a third person in there, the the bidding it changes how you how you bid. Right. So um, I can get on board with that. Anything else you hate about it? Um, I mean, I just hate that I don't have it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we ought to wait two weeks. It's true. It's true. But you know, when it comes, it comes. Definitely, definitely pick it up. I highly recommend it. I think one of the greatest things is that it is accessible to a lot of people. Right. So. Cool. Again, uh, thanks, Matt. This is what we played on Wednesday. We are Friday Night Games. You can check us out on our website, FridayNight.Games, Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, Twitch at Friday Night GMS, and we launch a podcast every Friday on your favorite streaming platform. Thanks. <laughs>
So it's just completely... Yeah, it's when you're doing the exploration. Um, right. You, you take your characters down into the, into the caverns, and on when you grab a cavern card, uh, there'll be six numbers attached to it, and you're going to roll a die, and it's going to come up with a random number. Say five, you roll a five, and it's going to say number 137, right? Right. And then in the book, you'll read, I'll read for you the scenario 137, and it'll say something wacky about fighting monsters. Or... And then I make my choice. Yeah. And then I roll my dice, see if I can can make it. And I like that push your luck aspect mm-hmm. that gets added in there. Because it's not, it doesn't over encompass the entire game. No. So if I tank a, a push my luck there, well, maybe I don't push my luck so much the next right. turn. Right. You, you kind of get taught a lesson, right? I, I learned that lesson a few times. Uh, trying to push my luck too many times kind of sewered me. I believe. And also it's really cool because there'll be um, cool little storylines that you run into where there's, say, a woman uh, down at the bottom of a, a hole that you find in the in the cavern and she looks kind of creepy and scary and it's up to you whether or not you want to go down there and help her or leave her because maybe she's some sort of demon or monster. But it's up to you to decide whether or not she's this, <laughs> this person that you're going to help or a monster that may end up hurting you because I've gone a few times for these ladies at the bottom of these holes that and I've been tricked a couple times but then I went for the third time and it turned out she was just a a normal person that I was able to help and I had your redemption for for helping finally because (laughs) I helped so many times and always turned out to be a demon or something that tried to kill me um yeah which was pretty funny but no I did get redeemed on there but I like that aspect of it because you really don't know you can't just kind of keep track of uh what you know the the story might be and not it's really hard to predict, so I, I I like that aspect of it for sure. Yeah, and I uh, one thing you can learn about me is that I am terrible when it comes to bartering in games. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not good at it at all. There is a bartering aspect in this game that we didn't even touch on. We no. didn't barter at all. We no. didn't put any goods for sale. And so I, I don't know how much that would change. I'm sure it would change the gameplay of it, but it might be different in a four player game. That's what I was or thinking. Or a three or four too. player game. Just with us, we kinda whatever trinkets we got, we just kind of held on to and kept and used to our own advantage. But I'm assuming that in a three or four player game, you might have that one trinket I need to extend my, my, uh, there's a little track at the bottom of your board that's got all these different trinkets on it. And if you collect, the more trinkets you collect, the more income you get and the more victory points you get at the end of the game. So you might have a whole plethora of, of say pots and I really need a pot and you could put one for sale and I, you know, and you could say, six dollars or something whatever it's worth to you yeah and i could do it but i guess for a two-player game it didn't, just didn't work that way we didn't need to do that yeah so if we ever do play this at three or four um three or four players i just know that i'll be terrible at that yeah, <laughs> bartering no. aspect <laughs> yeah it's not your thing no but no and yeah it just wasn't really necessary for a two-player um because it just seemed like every time we did get something you just needed it you anyway, needed it right? yeah so um but, yeah. yeah no you're not you're not wrong uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how that will work um in other player games. Yeah. Uh, I, what else can we say about this game? Um, I I just, I really liked it. I think that it was, like you said earlier, it's too long in uh, coming to the table. Oh, yeah. But it's embarrassing. Well, this game came out like five years ago, I think. <laughs> but we've had it, and we have also have Near and Far. Yeah. But all that it's done now playing this has been, uh, it just made me want to play Near and Far because of uh, all the additional things that I've heard have been added to it. And since I like this one, it makes sense that I'll most likely like yeah. that one. Yeah, and near and far, I think we'll get to. I'm just excited we actually yeah. got it out finally. We we kept saying we need to play it, we need to play oh, it, no. and it finally just came out. So I'm yeah. glad we got it. And then <laughs> we'll open done. up that rabbit hole of of these Red Raven yeah. games. Um, but yeah, that this game is great. Uh, we played it three or four times, and and it's solid. You beat me, or no? It's about even. It's about even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's good. That's good for us to have it kind of even uh, in this house, anyway. Uh, and we have about a minute left here. We could talk about one other game we've been playing. It's kind of a silly little game, uh, but it's a fun one nonetheless called Zombie Teens Evolution, uh, designed by Anik Lobey uh, from Scorpion Masque uh, Publishers. Uh, Anna Marie, tell us what you think about this one. I think it's a fun. It's a fun. It's quick, which I like. Mm-hmm. I think it really uh, the theme works well with the gameplay. It it's quick paced. It mimics well the idea of a zombie takeover. Yeah. So you gotta you know roll the dice, 
move the zombies, move your guys, just do things quickly. And it's a co-op, which always goes over yeah. well in this house. Yeah, it's a great family game. It, it is their game. I believe they got it for Christmas from, Yeah. Uh, I think from us, I can't remember. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's the second part to uh, Zombie Kids uh, and this one's Zombie Teens. So that I think there might even be the similar kids uh, that have grown up a bit. But either way, it's yeah, it's a, it's got a little bit of a legacy campaign thing in it where you can get stickers, and the more stickers you get, uh, you can open up some envelopes and add this or that to the game. Yeah. So it's a good little game. It's fun too. Highly recommend it, uh, uh, especially from a family point of view. But uh, again, we're out of time here. So uh, again, this has been Rob and Anna Marie from Metal Meeples and Beer. You can find us on Twitter at Metal Meeple Beer and YouTube for unboxings and reviews and such things so yeah we'll see you next week cheers see ya hi everyone matthew here again from scorpio masque the montreal-based board game publisher who just had a huge announcement this week and that is that we have been purchased by Hachette, the French company best known for its publishing houses like La Rousse uh, and others, and who also recently purchased the board game company Sorry We Are French, who made Ganymede and Demeter, two wonderful games. I'll tell you a little bit about mo- uh, more about that later, but uh, yeah, some very big news indeed. So over the past year, I've played very few games with other real adults in a real game night situation. I've done a bunch of online gaming, as I've discussed in previous segments, but most of my gaming has been done with my kids. Now, gaming with kids sounds pretty fun, and it usually is, but in our house it's often difficult to find the time. My kids are nine, seven, and four and a half, and my eldest daughter only gets dropped off by her school bus at quarter to five, which means that it's usually home and dinner and homework and bath time and bedtime which leaves precious little time for games. And weekends are usually taken up with outdoor activities to burn some of their endless wells of energy so that they don't kill each other and or drive us crazy. So what this means is that game time is usually what we can squeeze into about half an hour or 20 minutes before bedtime. And today, I'm going to tell you about two games that we play regularly. One that's so old that it's pretty much out of print, and the other that it is so new that... Well, it's just new. (laughs) Now, the first game I'm going to talk about is a wonderful kids' game called The Great Turtle Race, also published as Ribbit. Now, The Great Turtle Race is a game by Reiner Knizia, no less. The Doctor. Now, this mega-prolific designer turned his hand to kids' games and really hit the mark with this one. The version I have is by Oya Games, and it's the French version, La Course de Tortue, and it's it's a hidden identity race game. Now, in this game, you create a stack of flat wooden turtles in five colors, blue, red, green, yellow, and purple, and then everyone draws an identity card that tells you which color you are in the game and which you have to keep secret from everybody else. Then you draw a hand of five cards, and you're ready to go. On your turn, you play a card from your hand, and that's it. The cards allow you to move one turtle forward or backward one or two spaces, depending on what it says on the card, and the color of the turtle that moves is the color shown on the card unless it's a rainbow color, which allows you to choose which one to move. Or, there's one that has like an arrow on it that allows you to move the last place turtle forward. And that's it. Oh, but wait. If you have to move the blue turtle forward one, for instance, and it has the red and green turtles on its back, well, it carries those turtles forward too, leaving behind the yellow and purple turtles on whose backs he was sitting. So you can advance your turtle by advancing the ones on whose backs you're riding. And this is where the secret identity thing comes in. You're wondering throughout the game what color each player is playing. Okay, so she moved the blue one. Does that mean that she's blue? Or is she red or green? Or is she one of the other ones and is just bluffing? Oh wait, I'm yellow. Okay, she can't be yellow. Now which turtle should I move forward? Do I move one back? I don't want to give away who I am. Now, there are only 10 spaces on the board, so the games play pretty quick, but the fun and the laughter of trying to call each other on their bluff is hysterical. Oh, and kids are terrible bluffers. <laughs> but it's what makes the game that much more fun. I tell you, seriously, I haven't laughed so hard and so often as I have playing this game. The second game I want to tell you about is a new game from Tiki Editions called Lucky Numbers. Well, technically it's not new. It came out in 2012, but the new edition is making a lot of waves. 
Now, Lucky Numbers is a bingo-style game, where you have a 4x4 board and a set of shamrock-shaped tiles, numbered 1 to 20 per person playing. So if there are three players, for instance, you have 60 tiles on the table, face down. Each player draws four tiles to start and lays them diagonally on their board, and you're off to the races. On your turn, you can either flip a tile or take an already revealed tile and add it to your board. You can either put the tile in an empty space or replace a tile that's already on your board, and then you put that one back onto the table face up. Now the trick to the game is that your tiles have to go in ascending order from left to right and from top to bottom. So if I have a 4, for instance, in my top left corner, I can only place a 5 or higher, either to the right of that or below it. And it doesn't have to be consecutive, I can, play, I can put a 7 or I can put a, a 15. And the first player to fill their board wins. Now the game isn't called Lucky Numbers for nothing. I mean, there is a huge amount of luck in this game. But there are also tactical decisions to make too. Now if I replace my 4 with a 2, I can hope that my 4 will still be on the table when it comes back around to me and I can grab it and put it next to the 2. Oh, great, she took it. So I'll flip one over and it's another 2. I can't place that, I've already got the 2 there. It has to go in ascending, oh, okay, so I have to leave that on the table. Great. <laughs> now once you've got only one or two spaces left on your board, your chances of flipping a useful tile decrease meaning that there's a wonderful catch-up mechanism that allows players who lagged behind early to come steaming up behind you as you desperately try to turn over a 13, 14, or 15. Why is this so difficult? There should be 5 out of the remaining 12 that will make me win. That's nearly 50%. Why do I keep flipping 20s or 7s? What is going on? Once again, it's a fun, funny family game that gets us all laughing at each other and also that helps my 7-year-old with her number ordering. It's, it's a new favorite in our house. We really have a lot of fun with it. So those are my games that I've been playing recently with my kids. Grab them if you can find them. So once again, this has been Matthew Legault from Scorpio Masque. And on a personal note, I'm very excited about this recent development in my, in my company. I get the feeling that we'll be able to lighten our loads a bit, especially in the areas of marketing and logistics, and be able to concentrate a little bit more on making our games even more amazing than they already are. And speaking of playing with kids... Please do yourselves a favor and pick up Zombie Kids Evolution, the number one kids game on Board Game Geek and the only kids legacy game on the market. It's an absolute blast. And if you've already picked it up, well, I'm sure you've had a lot of fun. You can look at Zombie Teens Evolution instead. And that's the next one in the line. So thanks again for listening, and thanks again to the gang at Cardboard Conundrum for having me on, eh? I'll catch you all next time. Hey folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us, at BC Board Gamers. And we've started uploading some videos onto our YouTube channel. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers, where you can see some unboxing videos and along with our other show called Just Another Board Game Show. This week I would like to highlight a couple of games. Sleeping Gods by Ryan Lockett and published by Red Raven Games, and Renature by Wolfgame Kramer and Michael Kiesling, published in North America by Capstone Games. I won't go into too much detail about Sleeping Gods as it is a narrative-driven campaign game, so there would most likely be spoilers. Also, I haven't finished my first playthrough yet. Yeah, you heard me correctly. First of what will probably be many playthroughs. I'm going to highlight the aspects of what that I do enjoy thus far playing. First off, it is very immersive. Ryan Lockett has done a wonderful job creating an experience where the players are in command of the ship called the Manticore. Each character is unique and has their own set of skills that they can contribute to the adventure. And you can upgrade your characters, having them develop abilities and skills that will make them even better at skill checks later in the campaign. Skill checks are handled very well, usually checking how many of a particular symbol a crew member has and then turning over a card from the Fate deck to determine if you pass or fail. Now, the RNG is not huge, as one can most likely predict a range of values that is going to be drawn. Using skills on a crew member requires players to spend command tokens, and then those skills aren't available again until those command tokens are removed and cleared to make the skills available again. 
This concept also applies to the adventure slash market cards as well. Now, I get the concept of using an ability and then it not being available again until it's refreshed, but for some things it just doesn't seem to make thematic sense in this case. If I have enough resources to spend, why can't I make a double batch of flapjacks to reap the benefits twice? Nope, not in this case. I can only do it once, then refresh the action to take it again. Maybe not so much of a spoiler, but I like the fact that there's kind of a timer looming over the campaign. You see, there's an event deck. Initially starts off with 18 cards that will eventually run out the first time and something will have happened into the story. And then you'll have to create a new event deck. And then once that deck runs out, something's going to happen again, and then a third event deck will be created. Now, once that third deck has run out, the campaign is over, and you'll have either succeeded in your adventure or you have failed miserably. This keeps me engaged in wanting to do more and more things because I can see the end of the campaign coming. It also means that I'd be coming back for more and more so that I can explore this vast world that has been created. Did I mention that there's an achievement sheet? It has been a ton of fun, and my least favorite part about the campaign, uh, sorry, the gameplay so far has been that the micromanaging of the crew members and their abilities. It can be fiddly at times where we forget to use an ability here and there. Also, the amount of skill checks while exploring can be cumbersome where we don't want the, the negative effect to happen, but have to make a decision what crew members are going to participate in the challenge. This sometimes disrupts the flow of the story telling us. But the plus side is that the story is very engaging and immersive. I care about my crew members. My other game that I want to talk about is Renature. Renature was released in 2020 as part of Capstone Games' Simply Complex lineup of games. I've been a big fan of these titles that include The Climbers and The Estates. Games that are simple and easy to teach and play that new gamers can get into and play but also offer a very level, a level of depth and strategy that experienced gamers will appreciate. Renature fits this description beautifully. Renature has dominoes mechanic to it, where you'll be playing down a domino with animals pictured on them. Try and match the like animals together unless of a particular species is called the wild card. After playing a domino, you can place down a plant into that area adjacent to where you placed your domino, possibly scoring some points. Now these plants have four different levels to them. Level one is called turf, level two is called bushes, level three is pines, and level four is oaks. And you will score points based on how many plants of the same value or lower than you have placed. Now each area also has a small scoring tile randomly placed at the start of the game as well. So when an area is completely surrounded by dominoes, it will score with the player who has the majority in plant values, receiving the major points and second place receiving the minor points. Now gameplay continues until all players have played all of their dominoes. Most points wins. There are a couple of other interesting little things in the gameplay where players have these things called cloud tokens that, will, that they can spend to, you know, take another turn, return a previously placed plant, or even get to change the wildcard species. But if you don't use these cloud tokens, they're worth one point each at the end of the game, so, you know, use them wisely. We have been blown away by the gameplay of Renature. Such simple mechanics can lead to frustrating analysis paralysis, even anger towards the other player, or just those brilliant Eureka moments. Do you save your big plants and try to get in on the big point areas? When do you steal an area from another player? How do you block up an area so that you can keep all those points to yourself? All these decisions and questions in about 30 to 40 minutes. We have found nothing to complain about in this game, and my wife argues that it should be in the contention for game of the year, and I couldn't agree with her more. We can't just play one game in an evening. Usually we've been doing a best of three between the two of us. Capstone, keep giving us more of these simply complex lineup games. All of them have been absolute gold for us. And that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan of Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. You can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and we're hosted through Podbean. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter to see us where we've been up to lately. Also, check out our recently revitalized YouTube channel, Bridge City Board Gamers. Okay, folks, you'll hear from me again next week. 
gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons, and this is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. Yeah, and today we've got a nice treat for you because we did receive an advanced copy of Red Rising, the upcoming game by Stonemaier Games. Actually, I do believe the pre-orders are going to be available the day that this episode is released. So this is actually uh, rather timely. Now, it is designed by Jamie Stegmeier and Alexander Schmidt, and it has art by Jackie Davis, Miles Bensky, and Justin Wong. I really wanted to point out the art this time because of the different colors that you're going to be playing. The art really stands out. Now, I do think art is always a big component of board games, but... Yep. This one's great. I mean, it's a very colorful game, uh, which is something I really like. Um, we've been playing with the uh, Collector's Edition. Is that correct? No, we have the Retail Edition of the game, but we do have the Upgrade Pack, which does include the Collector's Edition. Well, the, some of the components that are in the Collector's Edition, the metal components. So you do get metal ships and cubes. You also get the card holders as well as the gold foil cards, but we haven't been playing with those. Wanted to get some sleeves for them first. <laughs> Jason and his sleeves. Hey, uh, not every game, but as you said, this one is I, special. I really, really like the uh, the art and the components in this game. Uh, it's a, plays a big... Big, plays a big role in my appreciation appreciation of table presence. Uh, and I think the metal cubes and the ships are great. Uh, I like the card holders, um, but my cards keep tipping over, so I'm not sure they're that. Uh, uh, well, I like them. I do agree you can knock your cards over, but I think they're almost really, they're not essential, but I think they add a lot because there's a lot going on in the game and you want to be able to see your cards readily oh especially... i agree. they're they're great to be able to see your cards i just <laughs> keep knocking them over and we did forget to mention it earlier but since we're talking about the components i don't think we're too far off track the game is for one to six players and how long does it play in julie uh well for a two-player game it's about 30 minutes the box says 45 to 60 minutes but it is up to six players as you said so it could be a long game i have to say once you get used to this game and provided you don't have uh, any players with AP, the game should flow very quickly. And I brought that up because I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, certain players and how they might not enjoy this game. Well, there is, uh, if, if you like games that you like having a strategy and sticking with it, this probably isn't the game with you for you. It probably will frustrate you. Uh, I am normally like that, though. I normally like having my strategy, and um, I have to say, uh, actually, the last game we played, uh, the cards I got really didn't allow me to have a strategy off the bat. Neither did I. <laughs> uh, so uh, I decided to just wing it and see what would happen, what cards would come up, and just see if an opportunity would present itself. I never felt that an opportunity really presented itself. Um, there are different ways to to, uh, to get victory points or to win the game or to uh, to trigger the end game, I guess we so should say. why don't we talk about those ways before we get off track? Yes, so, so there's, there's actually what we should say, I guess, is there are four, would you call them factions? Well, there's more than four factions. There's four planets where you four can... Four planets, okay. Yes, four planets that you can be drawing cards from. They will give you different bonuses. Jupiter will give you a bonus to the fleet track, which is one way to get victory points. Mars, Mars gives you helium. Yeah, which is another way to get victory points. Luna will give you the sovereign token, which will let you trigger your house's special ability. Now, each house does have an asymmetric power. And then there is the institute... Which gives you influence... Yes, which gives you influence, and the more influence you get the Institute, more victory points you get from that. So everything but the Sovereign Token, uh, when you hit a certain level, it would allow you uh, to trigger the end game. Yes, the way the end game is triggered is either one player has seven Fleet, seven Institute, or seven Helium. They seven must have Influence. Two, seven Influence, sorry. You have to have two of the three, or collectively, sorry, you have to have seven in each of them, just want to make sure it was clear. And then for a collective value, if you're playing with more players, when one player has seven fleet, one player has seven helium, and one player has seven of the influence at the institute, that will also trigger the end game. So two player, sorry, one player has two sevens on two of the tracks, 
or three different players have seven. So an interesting thing on that is that when you're playing a two-player game, which is obviously what we've been playing, um, when you trigger the end game, every player has to have played uh, the same number of plays, which means that if you're the second player or the last player and you trigger the end game, nobody gets to play. So this has actually come into play a few times uh, when we've played uh, where we ended up, I ended up beating Jason because I triggered the end game as the, the second player. And I made a big mistake in my first game because one of the cards that I had required the Sovereign token. And in a two-player game, it's very easy for the second player to take it from you unless you have a card that could prevent that from happening. The only problem is that card might be paired with another card in your hand. So it's going to be like, is that something worth doing? So there's definitely some differences when playing at two players versus a higher player count. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to play at a higher player count, but uh, we're getting close to the end of the segment, so I do want to talk a little bit about where we're going with uh, the very variety that you need to have with regards to your strategy, because in a higher player count game, there's going to be a lot more cards in play and things are going to change every turn. You really don't want to be focused on a strategy. I mean, if there's a good card that you see that you want to get and you've got a plan to get it, you should definitely go for it. But if a better opportunity pops up, don't hesitate to go in that other direction because it might actually score you more, the more points. That's actually the only game that I beat you was the one that was the most flexible and I kept changing my strategy as the opportunities changed every yeah, turn. Yeah, you heard it here first. We played a competitive game and I beat Jason three out of the four games we've played so yes. far. Yes, the first game I bungled it. Actually, you played very four well. out of five games so far. No, we've only played four games. Okay. In any case, the first the first game, I completely botched my strategy, but you actually completely kicked my butt as well. So there you have it. That's Red Rising. We've been enjoying it. You can check out our review that's going to be coming out the day after this releases. And as, as always, keep playing games. Keep playing games. Hello, my name is Aaron Milich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. Podcast definitely about board games, except when it isn't. And we are here on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, what have you been playing on Wednesday? Well, not on Wednesday. I'm just talking about it on Wednesday. I, right. I played this a lot, <laughs> many, many, many days. Uh, what I have been playing, and I should point out that this was a demo copy that we received, is the new Three Sisters Roll and Write. Very cool. uh, this is by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle. It's going to be going on to Kickstarter on March 9th. Nice. So in just a few days after this airs, uh, this will be going on to Kickstarter. This is, I guess, the spiritual descendant of uh, the Fleet Roll and Write game. So if you really like Fleet, this is sort of the next step from that one. I got to say, this one has passed Fleet for me. It has become, I think, my favorite Roll and Write at this point. It takes that great system. It increases the number of strategies. It insanely increases the number of combos. But it restricts the available actions, so you can't just do everything. You have to really pick and choose. That adds an amazing, like, a stress where every choice matters. And really cool, everybody's final game state will be very, very different. Cool. So you really do have this idea of pick a, pick a lane, go with it. Try to do some other stuff, but you've really, if you concentrate on your thing, that's going to be the way to get the most points. But anything that you concentrate on, it can be competitive and can work really well. The theme on this one, okay, you're growing crops. Uh, the three sisters are squash, beans, and corn, which the indigenous people used to grow together because they would help each other grow. Right. But in addition to that, you're growing flowers, you're planting trees, harvesting fruit, you are growing bees and apiaries, you are building your sheds of tools. The theme is interesting. It's kind of a nice theme. I don't know if the theme is necessarily going to be like a, wow, look at this great game about gardening, but <laughs> to really make it fly. It's a really good roll and write. Cool. Sounds good. Do you want to know what I've been playing on Wednesday? Oh, I suppose I should. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been playing, Aaron? Well, I have been playing a roll and write as well. 
So oh, excellent. It goes yeah. really well with yours. This is an older one, though. This is um, from 2016. Stronghold Games, Andreas Ode Odenhall. Care to guess what I game it is? it is? Tell them what yeah. it is, Roy. <laughs> Tell them what it is. It is La Granja No Siesta, right? Yeah, the dice game. Yeah. Excellent dice game. And this is one that you showed me. I fell in love with immediately. And the reason why I want to bring it up right now is because for some reason... I am seeing an abundance of these being sold, used on Toronto Board Game Swap. I want to say to you people, what are you doing? Fantastic game. Did you run out of the sheets? What's wrong with you? Fantastic game. If you've played a La Granja, the much bigger card game, I guess this is kind of a smaller version, a roll yep. and write. Yep. Uh, basically very similar. You're growing crops. Uh, you're, you're basically drafting dice. Uh, transporting goods, yeah, your barn, yeah. And there's all these great bonuses and, and combos you can do. It's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely recommend it. Uh, the only thing I did not like about this game is when I first got it brand new, I had to put the stickers on the dice myself. <laughs> so tell you what, since these people are actually selling them used online, get one. And then you don't have to worry about putting the stickers on the dice. You can just jump right into gameplay. It'd be a lot it's of fun. It's win-win. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is an excellent roll and write. No doubt about that. I said that I think that uh, Three Sisters is becoming my favorite roll and write. This is in my top three, probably. Yep. Yeah. And you you were the one who showed me this one and Fleet the Dice Game. So I'm very excited to try the one you uh, mentioned earlier, Three Sisters. Yeah. That'd be excellent. a lot of fun. Yeah. So if you want to find us and listen to more about other games we've been talking about in other episodes, definitely a board game podcast. You can just Google that and find us on our website or go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those other distributors. You'll find us there and uh, we have lots more to say about the Three Sisters and, of course, La Siesta and a whole bunch of other games as well. Yeah, absolutely. And check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Board Game Geek. We're in all these places. We'd love to hear from you. And yeah, take a look at Three Sisters when it goes live on March 9th. All right. We'll see you next week on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. My name is Ilya. And my name is Tyler. Together we make up Covray, a couple that loves to play board games. We do all sorts of content creation, and you can find us on Covray.com or YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. At Covray Studios or just simply at Covray. Thank you so much for having us on this episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Yeah! Today we want to talk about two games, and those are My City from Thames and Cosmos and Roman Roll from PC. PSC games. games. <laughs> so let's get yeah. it off with My City. Yeah, so we've been playing, my, or we picked up My City uh, actually the last year, I want to say, mm -hmm. and we tried playing it with a group of friends because it's a legacy game. We were unfortunate with the pandemic and we didn't get to finish it, but it left we found it. Such a big impression <laughs> on us in the beginning. Yeah, it sure did. So what we ended up doing is we found a module on Tabletop Simulator and we were able to play through and continue to play through the Legacy game with some friends. And we have been thoroughly enjoying that. I really like the evolution of the game and it gets like more and more complicated as you go. So it's, it's, a, it's a tile placing game that is right down my alley. <laughs> yeah. So basically you're trying to build your city by using these polyomino tiles and each there's episodes and chapters and with each episode or chapter each chapter in the episode there's mm -hmm. new m modules that get added and new rule changes so it, get, it makes the game really interesting because at first you're just trying to make the shapes fit but then you're trying to work around different shapes trying to utilize something else, but we won't really give away too much because it is a legacy game and we want you to yes. discover that for your own. Yeah, and the neat thing about the My City is that there isn't a, uh, or there's a version, sorry, that you can actually just play after you've done all the legacy content that kind of combines it all together and then you're still able to use it more than just a legacy game. Super true. And we really enjoy polyomino games, so mm -hmm. this one was super up our alley and I'm so excited that we were able to pick it back up because I've just been raving about it and the pandemic made me so sad that we had to put it on pause. Yes, I cannot wait to see what the later chapters have to have in store. The other game we've been playing is Rome and Roll, and there's actually recently an expansion 
that came out for this game on Kickstarter, and that's mm -hmm. Roman Rogue Gladiators. And the Kickstarter is still live, so feel free to check that out. Yes. But if you like roll and writes, this is a heavier roll and write. It's kind of like a whole Euro game and a roll and write, which makes it really mm -hmm. fun. Essentially, you're trying to rebuild Rome from, um, I think it was a fire that occurred? Yeah, it was a big natural disaster. I, I don't think about natural, I don't think natural disaster, but it was a disaster. Yeah, so you're trying to rebuild the city and conquering various elements nearby the city, but there's so many different pathways to victory and your characters are asymmetric. There's just so many different elements of that, but mm -hmm. the core of it all is it's a rolling rate. Yes, yeah, the, it, they've mixed in some other mechanics like dice drafting, um, kind of like worker placement with especially with the new um expansion well i wouldn't say worker placement but you have to plan how to place your tiles and then writing on a collective space so you have to really plan around what all other players are doing which i find quite fascinating mm -hmm. my favorite part is definitely the asymmetric characters you can mm -hmm. tell there's different strategies geared for different characters because there's so many different pathways to victory that essentially you can have a really conflict heavy game and go for the same things or you can kind of we're off your own path and do your own thing. So it's the utilization of the resources. It's so, so well thought out. Uh, we just been, we've been playing it so many times. Yeah, um, it kind of like leads into like the roll and write kick that we've been having. So this game was just like ideal for not ending our roll and write phase, but like just pushing forward through mm -hmm. the roll and writes that we've been enjoying so much lately. It's definitely a really good genre. Mm -hmm. If you are interested, we actually did do a playthrough of Roman Rogue Gladiators with the new expansion yes. on our YouTube channel. And so you can check that out at youtube.com slash Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's it for us this week. Mm -hmm. We're really looking forward to taking a break from some content creation and getting into some actual game more gameplay so we can get some more board games to the table. Um, and I'm really excited for that. But until then, we're Cabre Studios and we're always appreciative to be on this show. And we'll talk to you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll rapid fire games for you next week. Woo! <laughs> Bye! <laughs>
that could be with the likes of three tens of different colors, or a nine, ten, eleven of the same color, or two sets of smaller numbers that add up to at least 30. But what's fun is that once you meet that requirement and are able to start playing on other people's things, your turns can involve not only playing new sets out of your hand, but also playing onto combinations that you've already set up or that other people you're playing with have already set up. And the jokers are particularly interesting here. How the jokers work is that they take the place of another tile. So for example, you could play a red four, a blue four, and a joker, and that joker becomes either a yellow four or a black four. Another person, or yourself, on a later turn, could then replace that joker with a yellow four or a black four. That then gives them a joker that they can play with up two or more other numbers, and it then takes on a new value. Rummy Cube allows a lot of space for clever plays, and the jokers figure into that. It's a game that doesn't have a whole ton of rules and is relatively simple to teach and to pick up, but after you've played it for a long while, it can get a lot easier and you can see many more combinations than you could initially. It's a game I've played with my family for a long time and it's been a lot of fun doing that. And in recent years, it's been fun playing this with my wife Lisa, who is newer to the game. It's a game that doesn't necessarily require a huge amount of experience to get into, but it can be fun even when you're just learning it. But there is also a reward for playing it more and more over the years and figuring out how to make different combinations, how to rearrange tiles that are out there on the table to your benefit, and how to do that in, in order to get the last few tiles out of your hand. The point of the game is to get all the tiles out of your hand, and then if you're playing a series of multiple games, as is recommended by the rules, whoever goes out scores positive points for whatever the other person or people have left, and who, the other person or people score negative points for the value of tiles that they have left. But this game can be just as fun if you only play it one game at a time and just determine a winner based on who goes out and who doesn't go out. Rummy Cube won the German Spiel des Jahres as the German Game of the Year in 1980, and I think it is an excellent Spiel des Jahres winner. There have been a lot of good games that have won that award over the years, and this fits into that category. It's a game that's fun and easy to teach to family who don't normally game with you, but it's also a game that has a lot of value and a lot of appeal for people who have played it a lot over the years. A cool thing with this newest Pressman edition is that it includes some advanced jokers, which add some further strategy for those who have played it a whole lot. We don't always play with those because they're harder to get your head around if you're newer to the game, but it's nice to have them included and they're a good option if you have played this a decent amount of times and are looking for a further challenge. So that's Rummy Cube. My name's Andrew Buckholtz. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, and you can read my board game writing at boardandgame.com. Thanks for listening. Hello there, this is Norm from Cardboard Conjecture and from Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. I'm going to go into the segment that, that, that brings me joy and pain at the same time, and that's reading from the thread, What You've Been Playing Wednesday, on the Facebook community page here at Bridge City Board Gamers. Let's start off with Autumn. Autumn played Wasteland Express Delivery Service, which... They picked up from a fellow member on the community page. Yay! Awesome. Well, awesome because I haven't played though, but I understand that's a great game. Mad Max in a box. Love it. All right, Tim played London. Yeah, of course. Awesome. And Age of Sigmar, Soulbound. Uh, Age of Sigmar, I believe I'm going to go on a conjecture leap here. I think that's the Warhammer... Uh, um, uh, 
world. So yeah, I mean, and I've heard those. Um, I mean, London. I think the, I believe that's the. Um, Mar- I hope that's the Martin Wallace one I'm thinking about. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Jason. Uh, sadly, no games this week. What? Well, people get busy. That's okay. All right. Um, uh, we'll have a coffee. We'll talk. Travis. Gaia Project. Oh, I want to play that one so bad. Ticket to Ride, Code Names, Pandemic, and completed Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle. What a cool deck building game. Um, I'm envious of all those plays. Gaia Project. I would definitely want to you know, have a shot at that one. Ash played Sagrada. Oh, sorry, there's an exclamation mark on it. Sagrada! There we go. Um, yeah. I've got a version of that called uh, Role Player. Um, it's Sagrada with a theme, I guess. Huh? Shane finally finished our Charterstone campaign. Loved it. Oh, cool. Yeah. We had uh, we talked about that in our Legacy uh, episodes in February on Cardboard Conjecture. Yeah. We talked also, we talked to uh, Rob Davio. That was awesome. Um, if, if for those who don't know, the from the mind the legacy came from the mind of rob davio hands uh played terraforming mars baron park trajan praga kaput regni cloud age haleratu and new york zoo man that's a lot of excellent plays um i have praga and haven't put it to the table yet i started reading the rule book and started watching videos and and my mind just kind of had frontal lobe met, meltdown, so I'll have to uh, I'll have to apply my focus like it's a seminar class. So, and I'm I'm not dissuaded. It's like, um, uh, I, I I yeah, great, awesome. Brian finally finished stuffed fables with my daughter over the school break. Also, Empires of the North and Gloomhaven. Yeah, those are three fantastic titles. I painted my minis in stuffed fables. They look awesome. Well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, awesome at arm's length, I guess. Gloomhaven, yeah. Empires of the North. I think that is the uh, um, uh, Portal Games uh, play on their card-driven system. Yes. Adam, last week I played Obsession. Oh, yeah. That's like a BBC series, upstairs, downstairs in a board game. Panamax and Russian Railroads. I played Russian Railroads. Ryan taught me that game at Falcon when we were able to see people. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I understand why it's such a well sought out game. I, I believe it's coming back. Uh, I uh, Sorry, I, I went on a tangent. Adam, I'll continue. I also got to play Lupin Louie, Labyrinth, and Ice Cool, right? Ice Cool, High School. It's uh, penguins in a high school. It's really cool. My son loves it. With his five-year-old son, I'm still loving Obsession and Russian Railroads, but still kind of iffy with Panamax. This week, I still have to click see more. I still really pushing the cargo around. The puzzle still breaks my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that hurts. Uh, Eli played Endangered, and that's pretty much a wrap-up. Um, of the thread. Those are some great, great titles that everybody got to play. I'm envious of every one of them. Um, and that being said, this has taken us right to a perfect time here to wrap up this week's episode. Once again, I thank everybody for tuning in and listening. Well, not tuning in, uh, downloading the podcast and listening. And uh, uh, even with more, with greater appreciation, uh, goes out to the content contributors and creators that every week um, uh, come up with some uh, great titles to talk about and uh, encourage us to stick with it. And uh, soon enough, we will get to be able to see other people <laughs> in public. I know it's a dream. I know. We'll get there. Be patient. And uh, remember, keep your stick on the ice. And take care out there, eh?
This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the people at Cardboard Conjecture who are definitely confusing and difficult questions. Thank you.